0: Hello, this is Dr. David Friedman, host of To You Good Health Radio. With so much confusion and conflicting information on what we should and shouldn't be eating, it can be quite overwhelming. We have with us Dr. Robert Lustig, here to help us set the record straight. As a leading expert on metabolic health and nutrition, he's on a mission to expose all the misinformation regarding food and diet-related disease. He believes if we don't fix our food and change the way we eat, Chronic diseases will prevail. We will bankrupt our health care and threaten the future of our planet. If you wanna know how we can regain our good health and fix this broken system, don't go anywhere. It all starts now. It's To Your Good Health
1: Radio with number one best-selling author and renowned wellness expert, Dr. David Friedman, changing lives just for the health of it.
0: Our next guest is a neuroendocrinologist with expertise in metabolism, obesity, and nutrition. He holds a bachelor's in science from MIT, a doctorate in medicine from Cornell University, and a master's of studies in law from UC Hastings College of Law. He's also an emeritus professor of pediatrics in the division of endocrinology. In addition, he's the chief science officer for the nonprofit Eat Real. He's authored several popular books, including Fat Chance, The Hacking of the American Mind, and his latest Metabolical: The Lure and the Lies of Processed Food, Nutrition, and Modern Medicine. Welcome to the show, New York Times best-selling author, Dr. Robert Lustig. <laughs>
1: To be honest with you, after that introduction, I think we can all hang up and go home now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey! at least you didn't have to try to whittle it down to, to just you know the minute. I was like, well, how am I going to bring this down to, to a level where it's not the entire show? <laughs> You've done so much. <laughs> well, thank you for that introduction. That's great. Well, it's great to have you on the show. You know, I've been a big fan of your work since reading your groundbreaking book, Fat Chance, in 2012. Share with us what inspired you to write your new book, Metabolical.
1: Well, <clears throat> when I wrote Fat Chance, I knew that the food uh, uh, paradigm, you know, ha- was wrong. Uh, basically, the way people think of it is they say, you are what you eat. And, you know, that's been promulgated by the food industry for the past, I would say, uh, you know, one, 100 years. Uh, they took what Briot Savarin, you know, back in the 1820s said, and they bastardized it. That's not what he said. He said, tell me what you eat and I'll tell you what you are. But that became you are what you eat that's what people believe and i knew that that was not true and so i wrote fat chance because i realized it was you are what you do with what you eat that is what you metabolize that metabolism is actually more important than say calories or specific you know uh, foodstuffs uh, uh, or ingredients but in the last eight years Uh, A treasure trove of data and of documents have now become available that demonstrate that the food industry has known for decades, at least 50 years, exactly what's going on, exactly what they're doing to people, exactly what diseases they are causing, and basically have done nothing to change it and, in fact, if anything, to make it worse because... It's about the profit motive. It's about the money. They have basically figured out a way to undo our own satiety system, to undo our own extinction of reward, to basically turn us all into food addicts. And we have the data to show that they knew what they were doing. They knew what diseases they were causing. So I had to write Metabolical to update the concept. It's not You are what you do with what you eat. It's you are what they did with what
0: you eat. Wow. I love that. You know, as you're talking about what goes on behind the scenes, so many people, they're naive. They, you know, they trust the government. They say, yeah, the FDA, USDA, they ensure our food is safe, it's healthy. Uh, Share with us about these governing agencies. Do they have our backs?
1: Well, so they have our backs in terms of acute disease. So if you look at the Food, Drug, and Cosmetics Act of 1938, which is the, you know, sort of guiding uh, document of the, uh, of, of the FDA, it says everything about food safety, that is, acute toxicity. So when there's E. coli in the spinach or there's listeria in the lettuce, you know, that, that gets taken care of very rapidly. However, chronic disease is not in their portfolio. There's nothing in the FDCA that talks about chronic disease. So this is how tobacco got away with it for all those years, because tobacco is not an acute problem. It's an, a chronic problem. One cigarette won't kill you, but 10,000 over 10 years might. And the point was that that was not something that the FDA was set up to deal with. And the tobacco industry abused it uh, you know, for 44 years, until finally, you know, we, we caught them in their own lie, and, you know, we then had the master settlement agreement. And, you know, I mean, tobacco is still a problem. It's not like it's gone away. It's just, you know, um, been changed, and, you know, now we've got vaping and what have you. So the FDA is not, does not have our back with respect to chronic disease. So if you look at the diseases that have been going up in the United States over the last 50 years, and I'll name them, there are eight of them. Type 2 diabetes, hypertension, dyslipidemia, uh, uh, cardiovascular disease, cancer, dementia, fatty liver disease, polycystic ovarian disease. These are the diseases of mitochondria. All of these involve mitochondrial dysfunction, mitochondria being the little energy-burning factories inside each of your cells. When your mitochondria don't work, you get these diseases. And these diseases then cluster together, which they do. We call this metabolic syndrome. This is all due to mitochondrial dysfunction. And the reason is because there is a mitochondrial toxin in our food. It's called sugar. Sugar is a mitochondrial toxin in the same way cyanide is a mitochondrial toxin, in the same way that alcohol is a mitochondrial toxin. It's not as strong, but we're consuming so much of it that in fact, it's having basically the same deleterious effects. It affects three enzymes that are, Im- are involved in normal mitochondrial functioning. The first one, AMP kinase. The second one, ACADL, acyl-CoA dehydrogenase long chain. And the third one, carnitine pomidol transferase one These are all enzymes that are involved in generating new and fresh mitochondria and keeping mitochondria at peak operating efficiency. So that they can, you know, turn glucose into energy, into ATP inside your cells. Well, if you can't do that very well, you're going to get sick. And this is what you get sick with. The point is, the the FDA and the USDA have zero impetus and zero incentive in trying to deal with this problem. And the food industry has learned that when they add sugar to the food, you buy more because, Sugar works on the reward center of the brain to keep you coming back for more. In the extreme, it's addictive. And so you put those two things together, toxic and addictive, and you've got a problem. And that's what we're seeing. That's what we're dealing with. And you don't see the FDA or the USDA doing anything to try to fix the problem.
0: And you bring up a good point about these governing agencies. They're reactive, not proactive, let me ask you this, of all of the conflicting experts I've had on the show, the one thing that everybody tends to agree on is sugars the main cause of disease, and of course you're a pioneer of the anti-sugar movement. But I'm curious, what's your views on sugar-free foods using this artificial sweeteners or the latest natural substitutes like stevie and monk fruit? Is that the answer?
1: Well, we uh, it, it's it's been a slow uh, slog getting the answer, but we actually do have the answer now. And a meta-analysis done in the European Journal of Clinical Nutrition two years ago actually said it best. The toxicity of one Coca-Cola equals the toxicity of two diet Coca-Colas. In other words, half as bad. Now, you'd say, well, wait a second. How can it be bad? No calories, no fructose, you know, the bad molecule in sugar that causes, you know, the fatty liver and all. And that's true. No, no calories, no fructose. That's true. but still generates an insulin response and it's that insulin response that drives chronic disease so the insulin response to sugar the insulin response to refined carbohydrate that peak insulin is driving energy into fat uh, and also uh, causing the growth of tissues that shouldn't be growing for instance, cardiac smooth muscle, you know, vascular uh, endothelium, and also breast tissue like for, you know, breast cancer, etc. So hyperinsulinemia is associated with all of these chronic diseases because insulin is a growth factor. And when, you, you know, some, when your, your cells can either burn or they can grow, but they can't do both at the same time. And insulin is one of the things that takes cells from burning mode and puts it into growing mode. And so keeping your insulin down is the watchword of metabolic health. Keep your insulin down. Problem is, artificial sweeteners don't. Now, they don't do it because of calories. They do it because when something sweet hits the tongue, message goes tongue to brain, sugar's coming, get ready to release the insulin then message goes, brain to pancreas, get ready to release the insulin. And then it does, even though there was no glucose or fructose to work on because it was an artificial sweetener. So we now know that artificial sweeteners, they don't have the same toxicity profile in terms of the glucose fructose uh, effects on tissues, but it still has the insulin profile. So as bad.
0: Right. Great stuff. I know in Chapter 3 of your book you share how our doctors need to unlearn nutrition. Share what you mean by that.
1: Well, doctors basically don't learn nutrition in the first place. Only 28% of medical schools even have a nutrition curriculum, and those that do uh, have a total of 19.6 contact hours. You know, I mean, that's not very much considering that a standard medical school education has about 6,000 hours in it, 19.6 devoted to nutrition, when nutrition is probably, you know, accounts for 75% of all the the disease in the United States today. You know, that's not a very good, um, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, balance, to say the least. And only 28% of them have it in the first place. So where do doctors learn nutrition? Well, they learn it from TV, they learn it from the back of a, uh, of a box of, you know, breakfast cereal, and, you know, they learn it from dietitians who are trained to espouse this concept of calories. So, in order to fix this problem, doctors actually have to understand the concept of metabolic health. They have to understand that it's not what passes your lips, it's what passes your intestine. And it's not... The calories that pass your intestine, it's what that specific ingredient, that specific amino acid, that specific carbohydrate does once it gets inside your cells. Okay, And there are eight processes inside your cells that drive chronic disease. They are, and I'll just name them quick, glycation, oxidative stress, mitochondrial dysfunction, insulin resistance, membrane instability, inflammation, methylation, and autophagy. Now, no doctor talks about any of those because none of those are ICD-11 codes. None of those are billable. Well, doctors need to understand what those processes are, and they have to understand that they are not druggable, but they are foodable, and they have to understand what foods cause them and which foods rescue them. When they do that, then doctors will understand nutrition and doctors will be able to help their patients and not one moment sooner.
0: So, Trey, what's sad thing is patients don't know that. They ask their doctor for advice and they get advice. I had a patient come in uh, a couple days ago that's taking Tums because their medical doctor said that will help build strong bones. It has calcium. I'm like rolling my head. I'm like... Right. Yeah, I mean, so I wish... That ain't they... it. I wish that were true, but it ain't true.
1: And all you have to do is look at how much postmenopausal osteoporosis there is in this country. And guess what? Calcium doesn't fix it.
0: It doesn't fix it. Exactly. Let me ask you, when it comes to food myths, what do you feel is the number one misconception that people have regarding food? What do they believe that you would just shake your head?
1: Oh, calories. Okay. My job is to kill the calorie. Okay. Calories are basically irrelevant. And I'll, I'll prove it to you. Almonds. You like almonds?
0: Yeah.
1: Okay, I love almonds. Okay. So you eat 160 calories in almonds. How many calories do you absorb? The same. No. No. You absorb 130. You ate 160, you absorb 130. Right. Where'd the other 30 go? No. Uh-huh. They'll say, oh, went out in the down? Or went out in the urine. Yeah, broken down. Whatever. Yeah. No, it went to the microbiome. Okay? So you have 100 trillion bacteria in your intestine. You only have 10 trillion cells in your body. Your bacteria outnumber you 10 to 1. Okay? You are just a big bag of bacteria with legs. Now, those bacteria have to eat because they have to generate their own energy to power their own metabolic machinery. Okay? They have to eat something. The question is, what do they eat? Well, they eat what you eat. The question is, how much did you get versus how much did they get? Now, if you, if you consume your food... With fiber, which almonds have, soluble and insoluble, okay. you are setting up a barrier on the inside of your duodenum. The insoluble fiber forms the lattice work. The soluble fiber plugs the holes in the lattice work. So it's kind of like a fish net with kelp, okay? keeping you know, things from being able to just get through the net. Um, and this goes on inside your intestine with every meal. And what it's doing is it's preventing early absorption of nutrients from the gut into the bloodstream so that your liver doesn't get overwhelmed, thus protecting your liver from the tsunami of refined carbohydrate, sugar, and, you know, heavy metals and other things that, you know, could go straight to the liver and cause metabolic dysfunction and systemic inflammation. So you're protecting your liver. So if you don't absorb those calories early, they go further down the intestine where the bacteria are, where the microbiome is. And the microbiome will chew it up for its own purposes, thus feeding the gut. You are protecting your liver and feeding the gut. So even though you ate those extra 30 calories in the almonds, you didn't get them because you you didn't absorb them. They went further down your intestine and fed your bacteria instead. So who cares what passes your lips? What you care about is what passes your intestinal lining. And if you consumed your food with fiber, you didn't get them. So why would you then focus on calories?
0: Yeah. And I know calorie counting has been around, what, over, what, 50, 60 years? And t- it
1: hasn't worked once. Hasn't
0: <laughs> no, I think that's where you got the yo and yo-yo diet. <laughs> Indeed. Talk to us about, speaking of diets, the big trend now is intermittent fasting. It's the latest. What's your opinion on going 16 to 18 hours without food, or the latest, going 23 hours every day without food, just eating once a day? Good or bad? Right.
1: So the short answer is, why does it work? By the way, it does work. I'm not against it. I'm actually kind in some ways, I'm for it. Okay, but why does it work? And the answer is by doing intermittent fasting, you know, so sixteen eight or twenty three one or you know five to two, you know, five days of eating and two days of fasting. Okay, what you are doing is you are giving your liver a chance to burn off the liver fat as it accumulated from the previous twenty three or you know five hours or five days or whatever. All right, fat in your liver makes your liver work badly causes metabolic dysfunction. It causes insulin resistance. You have to have an opportunity to burn that fat off in order to get rid of it. Nothing else will get rid of it other than burning it off. So you can try to burn it off with exercise, and sometimes that will work, and that's one of the reasons why exercise does work when it works, but it doesn't always work. Um, uh, By intermittent fasting, you are giving your liver a chance to clear the liver fat that has accumulated from the previous you know, meal or meals. And in so doing, you're making your liver healthier. You're making your liver more insulin sensitive. And that means your pancreas can make less insulin to make the liver do its job. And that means there's less insulin around to cause all the chronic metabolic diseases we talked about before. So is intermittent fasting beneficial? The answer is if you have liver fat. Yeah, it is. The question is, why did you get the liver fat in the first place? Wouldn't it be better to not have to intermittently fast because you had nothing to burn off? And you can do that by eating real food.
0: So eating a real breakfast, lunch, and dinner.
1: Well, the question is, what is real? So is breakfast cereal real food?
0: We're not considered real food. Is
1: granola no. real food? Is bacon and eggs real food? Well, yeah, actually, bacon and eggs is real food. All right. Um, the question is, you know, what's on the package? Is there is there a um, is there a, a nutrition facts label on an egg? No, and that's the point: is that real food doesn't have a label because real food doesn't need a label. Look at a label as a warning label. That's okay. Every food label is a warning label. And it is up to you to figure out whether or not what they've done to that food is you know still renders it food, or whether it's now poison instead.
0: Right. One thing you mentioned, we're talking about the intermittent fashion, of course, now we gotta dab into the keto diet. One thing you said is the vegans and the keto diet advocates are on the same side. Share what you mean by that.
1: Well, so Obviously, you know, the vegans are using primarily uh, carbohydrate to, you know, power their cells. The uh, uh, keto people are primarily using fat to power their cells. That's true. But the vegans are also consuming lots of fiber. And so what the fiber is doing is it's keeping their blood glucose low and it's keeping their blood insulin low. The keto people... Because they're not consuming the carbohydrate, they're keeping their blood insulin low also. So these are two different ways to keep your insulin down. So the vegans, if they're eating real food vegan, and the problem is there are a lot of ways to, you know, um, shall we say, bastardize food to make it vegan. Remember, Coke, Doritos, and Oreos are all vegan. Okay, but Coke, Doritos, and Oreos are not real food. So if you eat real food vegan, you are consuming large amounts of fiber. And so you are keeping your blood glucose down and you are keeping your insulin down. Ketos, you know, are keeping their blood insulin down because they're not even exposing their pancreas to the glucose to make it go up. So, in fact, they're actually doing the same thing, they're just doing it using two different macronutrients.
0: Right. Same outcome. So they're really on the
1: same side. Yeah. Interesting. Because they're both trying to influence metabolic health through insulin
0: reduction. Got that. So if people are listening, they're wondering, all right, so how can 80s mention a few things here about the eggs are, you know, eggs are okay and so forth. Should we buy organic produce, should we eat wild-caught, grass-fed meat, things that just don't have a label? What's the uh, go-to menu for, for your opinion?
1: Well, the b- bottom line is that if you know if, if you eat uh, meat, okay, it should probably be pasture raised rather than CAFO raised, and the reason is because if you take a look at CAFO raised meat, it's marbled, right? In fact, we prize our meat here in the United States: Grade A, you know, U.S. Prime Choice, you know, one hundred percent, you know, beef. If you look at it, it is marbled. It's got all of this fat in it. And we prize our meat because you can cut it with a butter knife. And that's all true, except for one thing. That marbling, that's metabolic syndrome. That's intramyocellular lipid. That animal is sick. We just killed it before it got sick. Okay. It, once upon a time... An animal would go from birth to slaughter in 18 months today an animal goes from birth to slaughter in six months and the reason is because we've fattened them up we've given them metabolic syndrome because we feed them straight corn they don't get any fiber they don't get any legumes they don't get any clover they don't get any alfalfa because they're not on the farm they're at the CAFO and you know uh, instead all right and so those animals are sick well, guess what? We eat that uh, meat. We get sick too. In addition, because those animals were on the CAFO, they received antibiotics to keep them from getting, you know, cholera or you know, um, other other uh, GI diseases from, you know, basically, you know, having to live in such close quarters with all the other animals. Um, so we have to give them uh, uh, oral antibiotics. Well, you know, guess what? That sterilizes their gut. They make more methane. And, you know, here we are talking about, you know, getting rid of the cows because of the methane. You know, the bottom line is it's what we did to the cows because of the antibiotics we gave them. So all of these things are all tied together in terms of food processing. Our health, our health care system, and our environment are all going down the tubes because
0: of processed food. So and that's the big key to your book is just to stay away from the process, the man made, we got involved, we ruined a good thing. Stay as natural based as possible, I guess well, is that the key?
1: What we have to do though is we have to induce the food industry to, you know, do the right thing, to be able to make money doing the right thing, so that we don't have this problem in the first place. And that's why I wrote the book, is to basically tie all of the stakeholders together and explain to each of the stakeholders, you know, the patients, the doctors, you know, the hospitals, the insurance companies, you know, the food industry, the pharma industry, and big government all together, what they have to do in order to be able to turn this ship around. And the point is, they can, we can do it, okay, but we all have to work together. And at the moment, we're all working across purposes because the food industry is making money hand over fist, Ma- you know, basically you know, poisoning us and
0: making us sick. Yeah, well said, well said. In the minute we have left, is there anything else you'd like to share with the listeners we didn't cover today? Like I said, I got had you on for six hours. Well, <laughs> we had to <laughs> whittle it down. What else? What a little tidbit can you share with us?
1: Right. So uh, what I would say is, okay, uh, and I say this in the book, Okay, you've got a wasp in your attic. What are you going to do? Kill the wasp? Or find the wasp's nest. You have to work upstream of a problem to fix a problem. Working downstream only fixes the result, doesn't fix the cause. You can't fix the problem if you don't fix the cause. You have to find the root cause. And right now all we're doing is flailing around trying to fix the result. The statins, the antihypertensives, the, anti-hypo, you know, the oral hypoglycemics, these are working on the symptoms of the problem, not the actual problem. The problem is the
0: food. So, so well said. It's like the fireman at the front of the house trying to put the fire out. Hey folks, look in your backyard, there's pyromaniacs out there lighting it with gasoline. <laughs> Get to your backyard. so well said. Thanks so much for being with us today. You are a plethora of information and I'm sure the listeners took some really great notes as did I. The book is called Metabolical, The Lure and the Lies of Processed Food, Nutrition and Modern Medicine. Be sure and get your copy. It's available everywhere books are sold or you can go to Metabolical.com. To learn more about Dr. Lustig, go to RobertLustig.com and while there, be sure and check out all the healthful resources that he has available including articles and videos and research. You can follow him on Facebook at Dr. Robert Lustig. On Twitter, he's at Robert Lustig MD. For my daily social media post, you can follow me at Dr. David Friedman. Except for Instagram, you'll find me at Dr. D. D. Friedman. If you heard Dr. Lustig share something today that would benefit somebody you know, as I'm sure you did, send them a link to this podcast. It's available to yourgoodhealthradio.com or radiomd.com and peruse our podcast library. Share these segments with friends, family, co-workers, and on social media. This information is too important to keep to yourself. Don't be selfish. Sharing is caring. You can also subscribe to future podcasts at iHeartRadio and iTunes. More to come. Stay tuned and stay well.